Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America in COVID, an oral history project. I started this podcast during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a Black American who sadly lost their life during the COVID-19 pandemic. I was inspired by the work of Zora Neale Hurston, who is an anthropologist and an author, and she wrote about Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums and archives, such as the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture. I'll share a little bit about me and my family history, and then we'll speak with my guests today. I'm a Black American. My dad was African American and Indigenous American. His ancestors were a part of American chattel slavery. They were enslaved in Georgia. And we still have our family's slave name, which is my last name, Killebrew. My dad, Dr. Terrence Killebrew, met my mom in graduate school at the New School in the 1970s. They were both earning their master's degrees in psychology. My mom is Jamaican-American. She attended college in Canada and then flew to New York for graduate school. I am a fourth-generation teacher. My mom is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and in New York City for 20 years. My great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married in the late 1800s. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. She stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a woman to work after she got married in the 1800s. Ironically, my mom began teaching long after she got married in the late 1900s. So, without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest today. My name is Fari Christian Wiley. I'm originally from California. I was born in Los Angeles and now I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've spent about half my life though living on the East Coast. Uh, At 18, I left for college. I went to Princeton and then after Princeton, I lived in New York City uh, for about 18 years. So I was on the, well, no, that's not true, 17 years. So I was on the East Coast for roughly 20 years and kind of 20 years now in California. So half and half. Thank you. And then we met in New York at Prep for Prep. Prep for Prep. Yes. Yes. My first job out of college. So that was a great experience and met a lot of people, a lot of great, um, highly intelligent people like you, Sonia. Oh, (laughs) that's so kind of you. I just, I remember you fondly. So I I really appreciate your time. Of course. And, And how do you Oh, and how do you identify as Black or African-American or Caribbean-American? I self-identify as African-American. Um, both my parents um, or the descendants and myself are the descendants of slaves. We have not, I have a second cousin on my mother's side who's been working on our family tree and our genealogy. Um to kind of trace our roots. She hasn't gone as far as where we are from in Africa, uh, but our family were slaves in Alabama and Georgia. And um, when my mom was young, they went back each summer. So my grandparents, on my mother's side were, were part of the great migration. So they came from Alabama and Georgia area and they um, migrated up to, uh, sh- to Illinois, Indiana and Ohio uh, to work in the steel mills. 
so I self-identify as African-American. Oh, I love hearing that, the, um, the, about the great migration. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And what would you like to share about living and working during the pandemic? So uh, the pandemic was interesting. So I, I studied political science and economics in college, uh, but I just love history. Um, and so from a historical standpoint, uh, my first thought was, of course, we're living through another kind of historical moment. These things that when I was younger, I thought only happened in history books. Uh, you know, you read about the Great Depression and then, you know, we have the Great Recession and you read about the Spanish flu and, you know, you either read it in books or you see it kind of touched upon in popular culture. Like I know, um, Downton Abbey had a section on, you know, where they were stricken by Spanish flu. And of course, now we have our own pandemic. So these things um, are kind of intriguing to me to actually live through something that people probably in the future will read about. Um, so from the like, historical standpoint, I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> Get to live through yet another um, historical moment um, in the world. And of course, I think like, many people had a lot of anxieties about, um, you know, not wanting to get sick. Also, I live with my mom and, you know, there were many stories early on about young people or bringing it into the homes to older people. And so I was very kind of anxious and nervous about that um, on a personal and health standpoint. But I have to say from a work career standpoint, I was very I guess, yeah, I should say excited about the prospects of being able to work from home. Um, I work in the finance industry um, in San Francisco. Uh, We are a financial asset management company. Uh, I would say the makeup of our office is predominantly white men, males. Um, So I definitely felt being able to do my job from home would be a bonus. And so the moment they sent us home, I was so excited. Uh, One, living in California, people know about the freeways and the commute and just the overall population boom that happened kind of over the last 20, 30 years. And so traffic can be a nightmare. Uh, My commute can take me usually about 90 minutes each way. So I spend three hours a day commuting. So being able to get three hours of my life back was a positive. And also I just felt like I could focus on my job as an African-American woman. I always, I don't always, but when people ask me about, you know, like younger people ask me about my career or why I went into a certain field or how is it working in corporate America? You know, I always talk about, you know, the amount of energy it takes not only to be, to do your job, but also to kind of be someone that is acceptable in that environment. And so you kind of have to think about the energy and passion to do your job, but also the energy and passion you have to kind of uh, be palatable or fit in in that environment. And so I just thought also that I would get a big energy boost because I can kind of do my work very well, but also kind of be myself at home more so than I am in a corporate setting. Um, so I was, I mean, I I was very torn in the beginning of the pandemic because, you know, you read think pieces and you talk to your friends and I was feeling a little bit guilty because I was very content and actually feeling actually very happy that I can actually do my job without those kind of pressures of, you know, whether it's microaggressions or, you know, just the different things that happen in a workplace setting uh, when I'm one of two uh, Black people in my office. Um, But as I spoke to more people that self-identify as people of color, especially Black women, uh, many of us were like, do you not enjoy working from home? Are you not happy? And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, like, don't you feel guilty because it's a struggle and 
you know, the pandemic is affecting a lot of people, a lot of people have lost jobs, a lot of people are sick. And I said, yes, I do empathize and find that. But I do think we should be able to embrace both, embrace the chaos of the moment, but also, you know, really hold on to the joy that we feel and figure out, you know, what does that mean for us? And, you know, how do we carry that forward? Uh, so, you know, it took me probably, you know, eight months to a year of working at home to finally embrace that it's okay to feel like you're in a good place, even in the middle of a pandemic. I'm so glad you talked about that because I read a lot of articles where Black people specifically talked about being able to avoid microaggressions that occur in the workplace and you're at home and you're able to work and not have to just go through the, the social, emotional, um, I call it like jujitsu or just yes. like yoga of interacting with people, being professional, being appropriate while encountering really, um, I'll just say microaggressions. I'll keep it nice. Yes. Yes. That's, I just was like, you know, let me keep it nice and, uh, kind of the clinical statement and broad, um, you know, because that will, that looks different for different people. It looks different, I'm sure, for Black women than it looks for Black men or people that self-identify as Latinx or Asian. You know, I'm sure those microaggressions look different for each person. So, yeah. yeah. It's so good to hear. So you gain back the time that you would have spent commuting. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I gained that time back, which was nice. I was able to get more rest. I was able to get some more exercise in. Um, I picked, I didn't really pick up more hobbies. I know a lot of people started making bread or just trying more hobbies. I definitely, um, I've always someone that liked to cook. And so I definitely did a lot more home cooking, which was great. And a lot of more freezing and got to, you know, you just have, at least I had just time to kind of think of things and really think strategically about, you know, what I wanted to do. And, you know, you start to think, you know, I, I like to read the paper and be on top of current events. And, you know, you talk about, you know, food shortages and global warming. And I just felt what being at home and having those, you know, that time back, I was actually able to think about, you know, my carbon footprint. And we got really into making recipes and making food that, you know, we, that wasn't going to waste, you know, what freezes best. And so, you know, I got into, you know, canning and freezing and, you know, so those things were quite fun and interesting um, to kind of put into practice some of the things I kind of read about just like in the New York Times. So it was fun to have time to do those things and, you know, you know, preserve electricity and, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we bought some new fans and we bought some new lights, but, you know, I just had time to kind of think about and put some of the things I think about during my commute into practice. So that was nice. And did you get into ordering groceries or were you going to the grocery store? <clears throat> you know, I, in the beginning, uh, we, it's funny, I think like two weeks into the pandemic, we tried to order groceries and um, at a lo local grocery store, I won't say their name. And it just was like a fail. Like they couldn't fulfill our order. I think just because at the time, a number of people were out sick and they didn't hire new people. And so they just hadn't refined their online delivery nor their online pickup process. And so I was going to the grocery store. I was going every three to four weeks. Uh, so that's where I really got into, you know, meal planning and figuring out what could you be used in, you know, buying a product that could be used in three different recipes and then what would freeze. Uh, so I could stay out of the grocery store. That was the first year of the pandemic. The second year of the pandemic, um, we did a couple of delivery um, apps to get food, either delivered frozen or think fresh food. Uh, the good thing about living at least in the in the suburbs is the grocery stores are bigger than they are like in New York City. And so you do have more space they were you know a lot of the stores were really good about putting um arrows on the floor so like you know people were going up one aisle down the other there were dots you know when you were standing in line for your food so you were more than six feet um 
so that in itself was an adventure that I was like, I could tell my grandkids one day. <laughs> we used to not be able to go in the grocery store more than two at a time. And <laughs> we used to circle around the store. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's why I remember seeing on TV the lines because we sit on lines at least for an hour to two hours. And it's, it was the same in California. People had their shopping cart and they were just all in these long lines in the parking lot. Yes. Yeah. Luckily for me, because I worked from home, I could figure out like I I would literally be like okay I know like about 10 20 and there's no crowd you know so I figured out times when I could go and I have to admit like um I saw this in in New York and I saw in same in California like Trader Joe's I swear it had some of the longest lines in the country so for two years I have not been Trader Joe's like I finally went back like three weeks ago because that was one store that always had a line and I'm like, I'm never going to get in. So I literally, and I like Trader Joe's and I didn't, couldn't go for like two years because they had the longest lines. <laughs> I could never get in there. They did. I waited <laughs> hours. Yes, they did. That's so funny. It's funny. You- my sister, oh, go ahead. My sister, she lives about an hour north of me. She's in Davis, California up near Sacramento and she was able to get into hers and she was like I got you some Trader Joe's stuff but it was so funny I was like oh bonus like you got in like just kidding like we got concert tickets or something like I got in I got in I got you some frozen Indian food she's like I'll bring it down next weekend it was so funny I'm like oh my god I mean it's totally pandemic but it's problems but it's like first world pandemic problems you know there's you you it's fine to not have, you know, Trader Joe stuff, but it was so funny. I was just like, oh my God, you got in. Oh, that's true. Right. In comparison to life before when you could just walk into the supermarket. Right. Yeah. Yes. And get whatever you wanted. But I still, I still was like, this is literally not a problem. <laughs> I didn't count it as a, as a, as a setback <laughs> or <True>. a struggle. <laughs> right. True. And were people wearing masks in California? Yes. That was another thing. I felt, I also felt like blessed and lucky that I was in a place where people for the most part were believers in science who wore masks, whether politically or not, they believed in them. They at least had the grace to wear them to protect the people around them. Um, So, and I know like in the news, they said, you know, the Bay Area has a a pretty solid and San Francisco has a pretty solid vaccination rate. So Mm -hmm. most people wear masks, Um, you know, haven't run into people who wear, you know, they're stopped at the entrance to a grocery store or store and, you know, are kind of arguing, I don't want to wear this mask or, you know, you're messing with my freedoms kind of thing. So I've been pretty lucky in the area that I live that people still wear masks. And in the Bay Area, they pretty much drop the mask mandate in most places. But when I go to the grocery store now, I went to Home Depot last weekend, people are still wearing masks um, for the most part, um, which is nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that answers one of my questions. And then on the news, so in New York, when they would show California, um, and well, you're in the Bay Area, so each part is different, right? You're in like mm-hmm. a super- area you're not like in downtown area no no I know LA I know Southern California definitely they definitely had a lot more pushback from the mass mandates they definitely had higher COVID numbers um so yeah yeah it's like each part of the the state has its own kind of personality (laughs) wow that's so cool and oh, and I like to ask, could you describe like a, a day during the pandemic, like getting up, working from home, what you did after work? Um, uh, yeah, of course. So um, I would get up about an hour and a half later than normal. I would normally up to do for um, for work, which was great, especially in the winter, because I wasn't getting up in the dark and coming home in the dark. So I think that definitely helped my kind of overall mood and (laughs) serotonin and, you know, getting up with the sun Mm -hmm. uh, and going to sleep in the dark, which was nice. Um, I 
didn't create, um, like I didn't have an office room. And so I, my setup was in the dining room. Um, my, our office did provide us um, with a little bit of money, which I used to get it by an office chair. So I had like an ergonomic office chair and I was just set up in the dining room table in the corner um, on my laptop. Um, uh, I would take my kind of 15 minute break and go down and get coffee. Like uh, I would either get, I, there's a kind of like a local mom and pop um, coffee shop. And so um, I kind of, even in the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, before we were vaccinated, I would do like a mobile order just because a lot of, you know, they kept encouraging people, even though it wasn't necessarily safe to get out, but to at least um, keep um, local businesses open. And so I would go and get coffee every day. Um, People are like, oh my God, you're spending coffee every day. And I'm like, well, yes, because one, I do feel like in, especially in communities, when you want to see certain things and you want them to stay open and support the community, it's great to get out. They provided a safe way to do it. Also, I was like, you know, I'm very privileged that I'm able to hold on to my job, one, work, have benefits. And I'm also saving money on my commute. So, you know, I have this ability to, you know, I'm saving like $300 a month. I can get, you know, luckily. And I'm, you know, I don't get anything fancy. I usually just get regular coffee or iced coffee. So, you know, it's like $3 a day. So I would, yeah, that would be part of my routine. I get up, I work um, probably about 9.30 or 10, go down, get some coffee in my local uh, coffee shop and uh, come home, work. Uh, make lunch, uh, which was nice to, yeah, save money making, having food in the house. Um, we did do a lot of food delivery, like um, dinners. We would, you know, order in for dinner, maybe um, mm-hmm. a couple of nights a week. And then in the evenings, uh, we would go walking. Or um, uh, I w- the second year of the pandemic, I joined a gym, like a, it's like a small trainer who did group training. Mm-hmm. And it was in the parking lot of a Home Depot. So we're outside. We called it homeless fitness uh, because from time to time, people like homeless people would find us and they would kind of in the background try and join in. So, yeah, we were outside in a parking lot <laughs> for safety, you know. And that started after, so that was in 2021 after it was right when people were getting vaccinated, but we were, you know, outside six feet and you and we wore masks. So, that was nice. That's something I would not be able to sign up for if I was working in the city. Um, so I was able to take a, a fitness class, which was great. But we called it, yeah, homeless fitness because we were in the parking lot of a Home Depot. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, the gyms, I think the gyms are still closed in, in New York. Okay, they're open here. And I, I, and I have a membership, but I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable enough to go in. And so I had Googled uh, working out with a trainer or finding kind of group uh, training and this kind of came up. Um, So it was perfect because it was something that uh, I felt comfortable with. Like I felt comfortable outside six feet um, and was vaccinated. So that was more of my comfort zone. It was weird being outside. I mean, you know, you don't have the equipment and everything, but you know, it, it, it was, again, another story to tell people. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you have a, a quarantine crew or group of friends you saw? I, you know what? I didn't trust that. No, I didn't. Um, I did not have a quarantine crew that, uh, you know, that I would see or, you know, I didn't have a quarantine bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I did clean out our garage and put like, um, not a tart, but like a carpet in there. And so I would host uh, what was called club quarantine. <laughs> called it club oh. quarantine. And, and so I would leave the garage door open and the side door open. And like, and like so we, I didn't even let my own like sisters or family in. I'm like, oh, I don't know where you guys have been. So <laughs> like I would let people in the garage and I would set up tables and chairs. And, you know, we would be like more than six feet. We'd be like 20, you know, 20 feet from each other. And I would host meals like so that I would have um, like they would every they would be like plated meals already. 
So people Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily have to come in the kitchen. And yeah, so I did host a couple of people um, pre-vaccination, mostly my families and my cousins. So I have two sisters that are younger than me. Um, So they would come up. And um, then I did have a fellow coworker that I worked at Prep for Prep. She's a Berkeley high school teacher now. So we've been friends almost 20 years now. And so she came. Um, so, and then in the summer, luckily we had the backyard space and I would kind of host people where luckily I could set up tables and, you know, one person would be on one side and I would be on the other side. Uh, um, after vaccinations, um, I did host like one or two people at a time outside in the back again, wearing masks and then, you know, sitting at different tables. So. Um, I, so yeah, I didn't have a pod, but I would host people kind of one-on-one or two-on-one. Uh, my mom and her, like, I call her, her, their, their golden girls posse. We did have them over for like a barbecue lunch and kind of set them all out. And I bought these, you know, six feet, uh, stickers just for fun. And, uh, so we did host kind of my mom's crew of, of, of over 70s ladies. So she kind of had a pod because they didn't also too at their age didn't go out, but they didn't really hang out. But again, we would host them in the backyard (laughs) just to be safe. Yeah. Did you get into any of the the TV show trends like the Squid Game or any? (sighs) Yes. (laughs) So I, I love like movies anyway, Um, you know, so before COVID, um, because I had time on my hands commuting for three hours, you know, I would either be into a podcast that was popular or like a TV show. Uh, so I think any kind of TV show that was popular, I'd probably watch. So like Tiger King saved me in the beginning of the pandemic. Like I, w- I don't even know why I was so gripped by that storyline because when <laughs> season two just came out, I was like, I can't even get through this. Like, I don't even like, how was I even watching this a year ago? But yeah, I was a Tiger King person. I watched Squid Games. Um, I don't know, Sonia, you name it. I probably watched it. Uh, I like, probably watched it. Love is Blind? Oh, no. oh, yep, yep, yep. I was like, the first one, I was like, y'all got to watch this. You got to watch this. I mean, because they did Love is Blind America, Love is Blind Brazil. I did not watch... I have not watched the second season of Love is Blind. Um, oh, yeah, I just watched But it's that. it's on my queue. It's on my queue. Um, Bridgerton? Yes, yes. I watched season one. I watched season two. Uh, yes. Did Bridgerton. I mean, so much stuff came out. What? Yeah. And I have all the streaming services mm-hmm. yeah, that right. you can name, that you can name. <laughs> And, and now, you know, it's like, I've been, I've always had Netflix and like had 500 family members on my Netflix. And then I did not have Hulu before the pandemic. So I signed up for Hulu. Mm -hmm. And then of course my whole family's on it. And um, Disney plus, I got Disney plus, like when it first when they first launched it because it was free with my cell phone, it was free with Verizon. Mm-hmm. And, but then after the year it was up, I, you know, I maintained that. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. And then I have Amazon prime, but it's so funny. Like my family was like, please don't slack off at work, working from home because you support the whole family in our streaming addiction. I'm like, that's right. That's right. I have responsibilities <laughs> to keep working to pay for everyone's subscriptions. I mean, you know, Spotify, Pandora, all of them. I think I have 50 family members. So, yeah. So <laughs> I definitely signed up for HBO Max. during. The oh, pandemic. I have that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And stars because I'm a fan of the power universe. <laughs> okay. I, that's one I don't have. I do. Well, I have. I actually still have regular cable too. So I think I have stars through cable, mm-hmm. but I have not gotten into power yet. Oh my goodness. I, so I, I know. Queens and it takes place like these two friends who grew up in Queens. So it's, I, I just, I love like a, an American story, rags to riches, even though they're drug dealers, they're still rags to riches. 
Oh, definitely. No, I, you know, I live for that stuff. That's, you know, it's like, I love Peaky Blinders, which is like the same concept, but in England, you know. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's one of the best shows ever on Netflix. It is fantastic, Peaky Blinders. But yeah, it's a criminal family, um, brothers that run, you know, an organization after their, you know, their parents pass away. It's really well written. It's with Killian Murphy. Um, it's great. It's a great show. And I think it's only, so I think the final season premiered in London this year. It's not on Netflix yet, but it's only five seasons. So it's not a huge, huge commitment, but I recommend Peaky Blinders. Did you Um, try briefly? There was like this Netflix add on where you could do a Netflix watch party. Did you ever try that on the browser? Yes, and I never tried it. Um, I had plans to do it with um, two people that I went to college with, and we just never synced up our schedules. But so I did not do watch party. Did you do watch party? You know, I did it with a friend. We were watching <laughs> Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> too Hot. Oh, okay. I didn't do that one yet. Okay, yes. Too Hot to Handle. It's a bit, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's reality TV. Um, but we found that we prefer to just watch like on our own devices and just mm-hmm. chat because there was yes. still a, a time delay somehow. Like, oh, okay. okay. I don't know, second or two difference. Um, right. Yeah. And then you can end up spoiling something for someone if you're the one that's like a few seconds ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, I was going to, what did I watch and then discuss? Yeah. So I did a lot of that where a friend would suggest something and then I'd be like, okay, let me have, give me like a week or the weekend to watch. And then we would discuss. So I had a couple like um, love is blind was one of those where I, we had like an online discussion, zoom meeting (laughs) to discuss, um, to discuss love is blind. Um, I'm trying to think the show. It was a big show for Hulu. Oh goodness. I'm going to have to think about it, but it was a popular one. Was it Funny People? No. It was a coming of age love story in England. I, it's going to come to me and I'll tell you, but that was one I did like a Zoom kind of uh, discussion group on. Um, I also did a Zoom discussion group on a New York Times podcast, Nice White Parents, that okay. came out like during the pandemic. It's about um, the power of white parents, um, over the New York city school board Mm. and how even nice and the, well, the nice intentioned parents who, you know, want diversity in schools and want to do away with segregation, Mm -hmm. um, are really just kind of paying lip service, uh, Mm. to what's politically correct. But when it comes to putting their kids in diverse schools, they don't. Right. Um, so if you, as a New York city, um, resident and teacher, I highly, you, it's like a must, it's a must, it's a must listen. And so it's called nice white parents and it's, uh, uh, done by the New York times. Oh, wow. I, I hadn't heard about it. Um, oh, the Hulu show, show, was it called in my skin? Is that it? No, let me see. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, that show and I think it got it definitely was nominated for Emmys and it was nominated for um Golden Globes and so I'm gonna look right now it's called Normal People oh I've heard of that I haven't seen it yeah I've heard of it yes I want to say that's one of probably my favorite things I watched during um the pandemic normal people yeah it was it was a great series great coming of age series and then also I would put at the top of my list I really enjoyed um Zac Efron did a a thing about earth and sustainability on Netflix did you see this no it's like another reality tv show I'm going to tell you that one too that was really 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 good um I'm not, you know, a huge, not to take anything away from him. He's a talented person. I mean, I'm just not, 
you know, I'm not a huge, a, a groupier fan of his. Right, right. Um, uh, but I will say I really enjoyed his show on Netflix. And it just, again, it just gives you something to think about. Um, it's called Down to Earth, the Zac Efron. It's one, se- it's oh. one season. Um, it's eight episodes. They're like 30 minutes. Mm. Um, but it just, I mean, you know, it's like, a, you know, he's like a privileged bro traveling around the world, seeing what different countries do, um, how they do their part to save Earth, essentially. So he goes to Iceland, he goes to France, um, he goes to Sardinia to talk about how, you know, Sardinia is a blue zone where people, you know, live on average over 100 years and what their lifestyle is. Um so it's very interesting. Like um, I've been to France before, but I didn't really realize that um, they have a filtered fresh drinking water like throughout the city, which encourages people to not use plastic water bottles, like, but to fill up your water, you know, so it's available to anyone and everyone all the time. Um, and so, you know, that was just an actual practical way that a large city, Paris, France, and the country, you know, the country is committed to um, reducing waste. So, you know, it's just interesting to see, you know, what other countries are doing. And the focus, yeah, so it was nice because people would think, oh, is it the focus on him and his muscles? Or, and I'm like, no, not really. It was actually the focus was highlighting areas of the world that were doing their part. You just reminded me how during the pandemic, the skies cleared up, the oceans cleared up because people weren't commuting and creating pollution. Yes. I think I saw in the news that there there was like a fox sighting in California and I can't remember which city. I think if California is like, I realize now it's it's diverse. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. Everyone in California thinks like the East Coast is one state you know they just say east coast and that can refer to dc philadelphia new york boston it's like one place so i i understand it's <laughs> i remember saying oh there's like there foxes are running around in california but i can't remember where i don't know i mean we always i mean in northern california we have fox i mean i see them they oh. come out in the morning yeah so i mean so would it be here because that's kind of normal mm-hmm. i mean even mountain lions were pretty normal. I would say we had more mountain lion sightings just because, yeah, they weren't, people weren't out and about, like, so they could kind of take over their homeland again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think, where would, where would you have heard the Fox story? Or where It probably was like in downtown LA or something, like a more metropolitan area, okay. which would have been unique. They, but LA also had like bear sightings in the city. Like that was crazy. I was like, okay, so that, yeah, that we don't, I mean, you know, there's a lot of wild wildlife in California, but like that's, that's unique. I'm like, where did that bear come from? (laughs) It is. And you reminded me when he talks about how um, like this time in history is kind of paralleling the Spanish flu. And then I, I thought about like, there was a great depression. We had the great recession, I think they're calling mm-hmm. it now. Um, yeah. And then there's, we had our own civil rights movement. Although I didn't go out and protest um, only because of personal safety reasons, but I know yes. because I'm, I'm 42, but I know a lot of 20 year olds were out protesting. So. Yes. I too, I am 45. Um, so I, yeah, for health reasons, I did not um, go out and uh, take to the streets. Uh, but yeah, that was a huge thing to live through. And another moment actually in time that I was like, I'm so glad that I'm not in the office. Because, uh, you know, all the corporate that, you know, it's one of those events where corporations, you know, and capitalism like to capitalize on any movement and send out emails, our Mm. thoughts and prayers are with you. 
during this, you know, trying times and don't forget to buy our product. And, you know, businesses were sending out emails like we appreciate your business and we stand by, you know, George Floyd and his family and civil rights. And, you know, our own CEO sent out an email. And, you know, I also got emails from, you know, from my coworkers that are like, I'm thinking about you at this time. And I'm like, oh my God, these are people I don't even speak to. You know, it was just like, dear black coworker, you know, I'm thinking of you in this trying time. And I'm just like, I'm so glad I'm not at work. I'm so, so like, I was just so grateful. I was not at work for that, for the whole thing. Yes. A lot of, yeah. uh, Good intentions that were misdirected. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I saw a lot of examples of you have a friend and this who works for Gap and there's she works with like three black people and someone wrote an email just to the three of them. Like like they're interchangeable. Like just wanted to say our thoughts are with you and they're just like, What? Your thoughts are with me for what? What's going on? You know. You know, this, you know, we're black in America every day, not just when it's on, you know, breaking news on CNN. It's just, yeah, the number of emails and calls and texts that we've received from, you know, well-meaning white coworkers and friends is just, you could write a book just about that. Oh, yes. But many of us were like, aren't you so glad you're not at work? I'm like, yes, I'm so glad. Like, I'm so, I was just like, I'm so I'm I'm sad that this is happening again in the U.S., but I'm happy that I'm home. Yes. Uh, Wow. What a time to be alive, especially because you're, well, historian or history major. Like for you, how does it do you feel like this will be like a great historical importance or just another, I don't know, mark in history? Uh, it's hard to tell. So yeah, because so much stuff has happened since 2020. I mean, you never know. Like, you, I would think it would be a, a huge blip on the history meter, but you, I have no idea because so much stuff just keeps happening. I mean, you know, all you've seen probably online, all those jokes, like, you know, I did not have that on my 2020, you know, bingo card, you know, whether it was, um, you know, murder hornets or, you know, I mean, we had a whole orange day in, in California because of the, the fires. I mean, it's just, I, 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 it's hard to tell. I mean, in the beginning of this, I'd be like, yes, Sonia, this is, you know, a huge major historical period. And, but, but so many crazy things have happened since then. I, I, I don't even know, you know, for all I know, aliens will be here next week and no one will even remember to write this down. Like I can't, I don't know. I don't even know what to expect oh that's so true so I mean we we, I mean we almost had our government overthrown like year you know I don't I don't know Sonia what's next like it's you know I never that's not true I can't say I never would have thought January 6th would happen but that's not true because I studied politics and you know you know we're and I think people forget that we, you know, we are still a fairly young country. And I think people, you know, if you look at other countries, especially in Europe, and, you know, you look at how many governments and movements they've been through, something like a January 6th from someone that's a political science major for me, I'm just like, yeah, this, I'm almost like shit happens. This happens, you know, Uh, feelings change, parties evolve, parties change. we're just a fairly young country. So we don't encounter these things very often. So in the grand scheme of the political evolution and growth of a country, January 6th, I'm like, yeah, of course these things will happen. Um, But at the same time, again, it's like shocking to live through. I'm like, oh my God, another, again, another historical event is happening um, where you have the sitting president is, you know, promoting, you know, a not well-organized, essentially it was really like a coup d'etat, like a very just not well-organized overthrow of the government. Right. I mean, lucky for us, it just wasn't well thought out because if it had, it could have been very, it could have been much worse. But, you know, that is, 
I have to, I'm trying to like scan all of U.S. history real quick, you know, but it's probably the closest we've gotten to like fascism and the overthrow of a government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had those, obviously we had a civil war, mm-hmm. but, you know, our standing president at the time, uh, Lincoln was not trying to overthrow the government. So um, this was definitely unique where you actually had the standing president trying to overthrow uh, the status quo. Um, and, and gain power predominantly for himself. Right. You know, Lincoln wanted to free the slaves and unite the country, unite what we had um, and make it better. This is really someone that's an egomaniac really trying to grab power. So mm-hmm. um, that in itself, uh, in you know, the grand scheme of countries is not unique. It's happened to many countries, but it's new for America. I'm glad you're talking about that because I feel like in the future students will ask well why didn't people do anything about it but we were at work you know and then we saw it on the news I mean we're still technically we're still quarantining as well too I mean we are still under quarantine orders and 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 the thing is hopefully you know you never know you know it's one of these things time will tell you know whose story it's about whose story will be told Right. Whose side? So who has the power in telling the story? So will it be, will the story be about the combatants, the people who were trying to take over the Capitol? Or will the stories that um, rise to the top out of that, will those be the hero stories? Will it be the police officers and the security that lost their lives? Will it be those who saved the people inside the Capitol? You just, I just don't know who will have the power in the future and whose stories will be told, um, which yeah. is also very interesting. It, you know, you find, uh, I, I mean, growing up in America and I went to predominantly white schools, you mm-hmm. see, you know, textbooks are predominantly, you know, put out by companies who are predominantly also white. And you see the, you know, the, you know, people talk about power and white supremacy and privilege. And, you know, there's so, it's so complex, but you think about, they've also had the power to tell the stories. And Mm -hmm. so as you get older and you um, have the privilege to study in a university and pick what you want to study and go out on your own and do research, you realize that, you know, there's always more than one side to a story. Um, But in school, you're fed a book that's written predominantly by white people taught, at least for me, in my experience, predominantly by white women and men. And that's the story you get, whether it's of World War One or World War Two, or, you know, what other major historical event you're learning in a history class. And then as you get older, you get to learn that there are other stories. You know, the fact that so many people don't know about Black Wall Street. Mm. I never knew that. Mm. You know, it's almost something out of fiction. But it's real. And it's just like that. So for those people living through that, Sonia, they probably were like that. This is a major historical event in the United States. And it never made it into one history book. So when you ask me, you know, will the, will the pandemic be a major history of historical event or Floyd, George Floyd? I'm like, I can't tell you because I just don't know who's going to have the power to tell their story. Wow. (laughs) Yes. That puts it all into perspective. It reminds me about, I was teaching a, a writing class in the spring and my students were learning about what were, I can't remember how we got on the topic of how after um, slavery ended and black cities were thriving, a lot of white supremacists uh, killed t- whole towns of people and then flooded yes. them. And yes. So I never, I lived in Atlanta and I never knew Lake Lanier was an all black town that racist white people decimated and then flooded so that yes. they not come back. And my students were, they were aghast. And then we learned this happened throughout the United States. There's a lot of man-made lakes. And we thought, well, why isn't anyone telling us this? But it's like you said, who gets to tell the story? Are white supremacists going to tell on themselves? No, Um, exactly. 
Yeah. This is also why I'm doing this podcast because I feel like as a as a teacher, I feel like each of us, well, for me, I'm like, who am I to go out collecting oral history? But then who else is doing it? And it's not my job. Like I still have a job. And, right. and so it's, I just, I just thought it's really important that people here in the future that whatever narrative is being told about black people that we can counter it. Um, even I have a friend, she's a single black mother raising twin boys. She's in Italy. Like she's not living off the system, whatever this, the narrative is about single black mothers. She's right. raising two boys in Italy. They've been to Dubai, they've been to Spain, they've been to Colombia. I mean, this is a woman who is independent. And so I just, I really want to create narratives that counter whatever stereotypes people have of black people. So. Yes, yes, because yeah, right. You the more, there's so many stories, so many sides to stories. Um, and yeah, it's just who has the power to tell them who, you know, sits down in a room um, and decides, you know, what's, what's history, what's, what's history. Yeah. Um, it's so funny to see that, I mean, as a young person, I thought history, the telling of history uh, is objective, but it's not, it's subjective. It's who has the power to lay down the stories and say what's important, what's not important, yeah. which was interesting and also heartbreaking to, to learn, you know, you're just like, there's all this, you thought you knew the history of the world, or you thought you knew the history of the United States obviously not as some PhD scholar, but just you, you generally thought you had an, at least I did an overview and it's true. I have an overview, but it's, you know, it's probably like 10% of the story. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting and heartbreaking at the same time. And I, I sit and think, you know, how do you change the narrative or how do you change the power dynamic of what stories are being told? And, I think that, you know, the internet is, is great. It's definitely um, bought some equality to um, an equity to whose stories are being told. And um, your project is very important because I think people need to realize that everyone, you said like, who am I to collect stories and share stories? Everyone I think needs to own that they have the power to tell a story, whether it's they're telling their own story or they're helping to facilitate someone else tell their story oh wow thank you for saying that as an I think of you as a historian so thank you for saying that oh you're welcome yeah so when you say I should I do I'm like yes Sonia you have the power to share your story and everyone's stories or you know however you whatever you want to do it's you know you find it because who who is anyone to write a book or you know be a professor and decide you know this is what this is what history is. You know, I also think about that with literature, you know, mm-hmm. there's this canon of books and not to take anything away from the intelligence of writers that have come before us, but they're not the only people that wrote books and they're not the only ones that wrote very good books. And when you sit down and you look at the decision makers, about what books get read in schools and what books are considered classic. It was just that it was like a small group of white men, cisgendered white men that decided this. Right. Not even women, not even white women for the most part. And so then you're just, you start to think, hold up. <laughs> not Like I said, not to take anything away from Shakespeare. I love his works, but there mm-hmm. are possibly other people of his time period that were just as great. Right. We just didn't have the means and the access, you know, to go, you know, to England and go through archives and find somebody else that we thought was just as clever. You know, we're, we're at the mercy of what we're being told, um, especially in ninth grade. You know, you're a ninth grader growing up, whether it's in California or Queens, you know, and your teacher's like, you know, we're reading Romeo and Juliet and Will, Will uh, Shakespeare is this and this and this. And you're like, OK, you know you don't have the means to get on your own, you know, plane or some people do it in in ninth grade, but you know, I didn't have the means to be like, well, what, who else was writing during that time? You know, let me, 
go on a my own trip of the archives. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't have time to do that. So it's like my teacher tells me this is a great writer. And of course, you know, I enjoy a story like Romeo and Juliet and all the themes in it, but there's so much more out there. We're just, you know, being told. Um, but but kids in the future, you know, luckily, you know, like I said, I think the the internet has allowed, you know, people to really branch out and figure out, you know, what else is great out there other than what's being dictated or told to them by a small group of people who made that decision. Yeah, that's what I love about the internet. Like we're getting individual stories, like Twitter, the news. I learned about what was something was happening in Haiti in 2020. I remember thinking, why isn't this on the news? I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, again, that's another place for Haiti. There's always something, unfortunately, whether it's an earthquake or an overthrow of power or, you know, uh, NGOs who have taken the money that we've all donated to some cause for Haiti and they've used it for their, you know, to pay salaries instead of building homes. You know, it's unfortunate, but there is usually always a story about Haiti, whether they're in the midst of of a... a disaster uh, or a natural disaster or a political movement or the corruption that has happened in that country. Yeah. Uh, where it's like the misuse of, of, of public funds. Uh, wow. That's like I, a whole other discussion. It is. You have so much knowledge. This, is there anything else that you want to share about living and working during the pandemic? I do not. No, no. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Again, it's been a positive experience for me. Again, I do have mixed feelings because it has been such a rough time for people. Yeah. Um, But I just try to handle myself with grace and really try to do two things at once, you know, recognize that it's been a really tough situation and have empathy for those who have been suffering and struggling, but also hold on to the joy that I felt being able to work and maintain, uh, you know, my life during the pandemic. So I'm just trying to be easy on myself and be like, it's okay to be joyful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. I thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I mean, I probably, I mean, I think you, one of your questions too, to other people, had they lost anyone during the pandemic? And I was lucky not to have, my grandfather recently passed away this year, um, but he was 101 years old. Talk about people who have lived through many major historical events. (laughs) Um, It's amazing. I'm like, granted, you made it through two pandemics, like uh he fought in world war ii uh you know was born before the great depression and so yeah wow Uh, yeah yeah amazing man wow oh i would love to talk to him he's yeah i know yeah he just passed but yeah definitely i mean it's yeah i mean again to be also a part of a movement he was part of the great migration him and my grandmother you know moving off a farm in Alabama moving and they moved to Indiana, Gary, Indiana, and he worked in a steel mill, you know, that, that, that story, him and his brothers, seven siblings. So. Wow. Wow. Oh, maybe you should write a book. Have you thought about it? Writing about your family? I've always thought about reading a writing book only because when I was lived in New York, um, I, I left prep for prep a few years and for five years in between my 15 years, uh, uh, I worked at, uh, for Knopf Publishing. So I worked at Random House. Um, so that was a great experience. So I'm always thinking about writing a book, but you know, I'm one of those where I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. So, you know, who am I to write a book? So I need to get, I need to get past that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think everyone should write at least one book. Yes, I'm in agreement with that. We, I do joke with my friends, you know, where, you know, where we'll have funny stories and we'll be like, this is another chapter in your book. This is write this down. This is another chapter in your book. So especially about this time period, getting your unique perspective as a 
a history major, I think that would a lot of people would benefit from hearing your point of view. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's great to see you. Thank you for sending out the, you know, the bat call for people to get stories. Yeah. I, um. I, I never know who some people aren't ready to talk and, and some people are. So I, I appreciate you sharing your time. Thank you. Of course, of course. Now, are, before I let you go, are you, did you, and I should have asked this before, did you encounter, are you teaching currently now? Did you do remote teaching? And Oh, so I was teaching remotely. I finished my MFA at City College in 2020. So I was taking classes online and I was also teaching academic writing to college freshmen. So, ah. and that was rough. Um, by 2021, they were they were over it. Um, yeah. It was difficult to get students to turn in assignments. Um, a lot of them were working and like had, they logged into Zoom, but the screen was off. So it was, it was um, challenging um, keeping them, I guess, motivated. And then there yeah. were some students that absolutely loved it. They said, I'm home in bed. I love this. <laughs> Yeah, just like working people, like some kids like really thrived. Um, one of my good friends I grew up with, her son is a ninth grader, very shy, very introverted, um, wasn't the best student, but really actually thrived in, in, and during COVID. Um, so, you know, it's the true, you know, it's true for students, adults, you know, again, you know, some people really thrive in the status quo and some people thrive, you know, when things change. So it's yeah. different. But te- teachers have their own story to tell of this, this COVID. I mean, that's a whole other time capsule series that you could do <laughs> interviewing just teachers. I, I like my sister was a teacher and just hearing her side of things. And uh, it's, I was like, oh man, you guys have your own section of this you know oh I'd love to pandemic her. if she likes to talk maybe you could ask her oh sure <laughs> she's crazy I'm like I don't know if you want two people from the same family <laughs> we have the same DNA <laughs> no I would love that I I interviewed one of my aunts and her daughter and, and then I'm about to interview the, the cousin yeah uh-huh. I'd love that well this is I could, if, if you're still looking for people, her name is Allison Torek, and I, I could forward her information. I could talk to her, but yeah, she's a teacher, and her <laughs> stories are so, I mean, just the teacher stories alone are absolutely, to me, hilarious. One of her kids didn't get back in time to do her Zoom class, and she, she actually Zoomed from the back seat of her mom's car while they're in the Chick-fil-A line. <laughs> this like little cute little white girl is sitting in the back seat of this car, you know, being driven around by her mom. And she's like, Mrs. Torek, I'm, I'm here. Count me as here, but we're uh, in line for, ch- for chicken nuggets. And I, uh, but I'm here. And I'm like, this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. She's being driven around like the queen of Sheba in the backseat of her mom's Camry and she's like count me as attended in this class but even though I didn't get back in time to my home and her mom's like you know you hear the background like what would you like to order and I'm like I can't believe this little girl is like a Chick-fil-a and in class I'm like this is amazing that's better than being in class being a Chick-fil-a amazing Yes, there was a lot of that. A lot of people Hilarious. on the subway or on a bus or at work. <laughs> Amazing. They're like, oh, you're talking to me? I'm like, what, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, you probably saw that too. Yeah, kids were like all over the place. Oh my gosh. It's funny, right? Because they're like, oh, they're, they think it's, yes. I, yeah, I'm definitely going to look into interviewing teachers. Yes. <laughs> they have some crazy, I mean, oh man, just hilarious. Oh. Yeah, kids in bed. Oh my God, they're hilarious. My oh, sister's yeah. like, are you in your bedroom? Yeah, I just, my mom, I, like, you know, you could tell when she has little kids, you know, the parents are just over it, you know. Oh yeah. Like, 
like my mom just said I could lay in bed today and I'm like yep I'm sure his mom is over it like just do whatever whatever by any means possible get in class yeah it's hard work managing like every day because the parents didn't get a break (laughs) nope yeah do you have children no okay so I don't either that was another thing I was like oh lucky me as a teacher (laughs) I see how how much hard work goes into raising kids Uh, I will need a lot of time and a lot of money if I'm gonna have a child (laughs) I say the same thing I'm in the same boat I'm like I need a and probably because maybe all my years of working at prep for prep and interacting with students and parents and living in New York, which requires a lot of money to live even as a single person. And being in San Francisco, where it also requires a lot of money to live even as a single person. Yeah, seeing that, I'm like, this has to be a very thought out endeavor, like kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, otherwise it's daycare and that's a lot of money. Then you're putting out money and you don't see your child and yeah, but no. Yeah. Oh, I loved, I just loved hearing. This is one of <coughs> my favorite things to do, talking to people and just listening. Like, thank you. Because everyone is so fascinating. I think every person has a unique story. And I just love They do. Them. They do. Everyone has a story. Yeah. Well, I thank you for your time. I love that you're in California. Thank you thank you yes yes you're welcome I mean anytime you do another series or you think of other caveats you know I will reach out (laughs) absolutely well thank you and thank you it's great to see you it's so good to see you after all these years (laughs) I know I know the pandemic everyone you know that's another thing I mean there'll be silver linings to this you know, there's a lot of people that people caught up with that they hadn't talked to and seen in years. Uh, yeah. The power of the internet, power of Zoom yeah. has brought people together. So take care, be safe care. out there. And I wish you all the best in this endeavor. And it's fantastic. Thank you so what much. You're, what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, take care. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is my oral history project, Black America and COVID. Thank you.